Tales from the Chip, Episode 2 with Jay Nemec. Jay has had a lengthy and successful on-field career, playing over 50 first 11 games and being captain of both the second and third 11. He's known as a gutsy big game performer with some extremely valuable contributions in finals. But it's off-field where Jay has truly made his mark on the club. A long-standing committee member, including 10 years plus as the secretary, taking over on the executive when the club was at one of its lowest ebbs. By the time he finally handed over the reins, the club was in a position of strength, having just won three first 11 premierships and made it to provincial ranks. Jay's measured analytical approach has underpinned much, if not all, of the club's recent decision-making and been a huge part in on- and off-field success. Hi, Mocky. Yeah, I'm Jay, and uh, I've played for Red Hill Cricket Club for, well, probably um, almost 30 years now. And, uh, yeah, I love the place. So that's me. 30 years. Bloody hell, long time. Uh, All right, so first one I wanted to ask, what are your earliest memories of of the game of cricket, whether it's playing or watching or or just the game of cricket in general? Yeah, I, I do remember... Uh, going to a match, a one-day match. Now, it must have been back in the 1980s, Dad took me. And it was at the MCG, obviously. Uh, it was the, the old Southern Stand. So it was a long time ago. And I don't remember anything at all about the actual cricket. All I can remember is what was going on in the crowd. Everyone just rocked up with eskies full of grog. Uh, like I'm not talking six-packs, I'm talking slabs. And it was a stinking hot day. Um, could barely see anything because everyone was just standing up um, doing the Mexican wave, chanting. So you could barely see the cricket anyway. But it was a pretty memorable day. That's my introduction to a cricket match. As far as cricket goes, uh, I can remember back in um, the Ashes, uh, watching the Ashes late at night. It must have been 89, I think. Um, Tubby Taylor making lots of runs. Uh, that's when we won the Ashes in England for the first time for a while. And uh, that just you know, watching cricket in England uh, with the, the green grass, uh, Terry Alderman, I think, had a, had a great series, that series as well, watching him swing it so much. Um, yeah, watching in England, cricket in England is, uh, it, it's like, it's so pure compared to Australia. And uh, that's what got me interested in cricket. Definitely cricket in England. It's just it's just different, isn't it? Like yeah, like you say, it's it's greener. It's the crowds are a bit more they're a bit more informed, I guess. They're they're sort of a bit more up with what's actually happening on the field rather than you know just sort of barracking. They sort of really understand what's actually going on. Yeah, that that eighty nine Ashes series. I was that was just before I was born, but um, I always remember one of the one of the stories. It was about the time Margaret Thatcher you know, lost lost the election in, in England and, and one of the, the newspapers out the front of a milk bar or something said Thatcher out and somebody had, had written underneath it with a texter LBW Alderman so that was a I always remember hearing that it was pretty funny Didn't uh, he so take got, something like 45 wickets in the series oh yeah it was some ridiculous 40 40 something wickets at an average of 10 or 9 or yeah something stupid swinging it around corners all right, so and that's Brian it. Gooch was his bunny. Oh, yeah, he just got him LBW. That just he just stood in front of the stumps and got it on the pads and <laughs> just give him out. All right, so that's your, that's your uh, sort of one day 
one day and test memories. What what led you to Red Hill? Pretty much just geography. Uh, Mum and Dad uh, moved us there uh, when I was about 12 years old to Red Hill. And I did play a season of under 12 at Langmoran where we used to live. Uh, but now, uh, you know, when we moved to, to Red Hill, um, obviously went to the local club and played at the local club and, and Red Hill is a totally different club to, to Langwarren. Um, uh, in my opinion, Red Hill's a better atmosphere and just stuck to Red Hill from then on. It's, um, and Red Hill was a totally different place back then too. As, you know, your family has been in Red Hill for pretty much hundred years. Um, so you would know from, from your family, Moki, but it was literally just cherry orchards, apple orchards, the old families that were there, and there were there were none of these things that, that you know these holiday houses and millionaires holiday houses that are there at the moment. And obviously, it's a very wealthy area at the moment. But back then, it was literally just farms, and it was a real rural atmosphere. Um, people were very close, and you know, you just you, if you lived in the area, you played for the local footy club or local cricket club. That's what you, you did. Um, it's interesting, yeah, that now some people live in Red Hill that play for Red Hill, mainly juniors, but uh, yeah, a lot of the seniors would don't actually live at Red Hill, and it's a bit disappointing that that's the case. But there's still what what's so good about the Red Hill Cricket Club is that there's still a great family atmosphere, even if not everyone lives near one another. And you know, people like myself, I don't live anywhere near Red Hill anymore, but I still go back to play for Red Hill because you just can't beat that community atmosphere. That's right what you say about Red Hill evolving over the years. Like, yeah, my family moved to Red Hill because that, that was where you could buy and afford it. That was where you could buy a cheap farm. You know, it was it was affordable. You, you could get good land, good good farmable land for, you know, very affordable uh, price. And that's, you know, that's probably where a lot of the old families, you know, ended up in Red Hill, the De Gregorios and Mox, obviously. Um, it's interesting you say you played one year elsewhere um so that's a little bit similar to me not everyone's actually aware but my first year of cricket was at main ridge um in the under 12s so no and they uh they didn't have a team the next season they couldn't field a team so that was how that was how i came to be at red hill so yeah, if, if main ridge could have scraped together an under 12 team the next year uh might not have might not have ever made it to red hill i made a lot of runs at the at main ridge yeah well maybe i probably never would have uh started bowling i would have just stick stuck with batting the whole time no point bowling off spin on that ground all right so you got 30 30 plus years of memories i'm imagining there's uh quite a few good ones in there what would be your favorite um favorite memory both on field and off field in those 30 plus years it's pretty difficult to remember back when i was you know a teenager um but back then the club was that was flying. We were in provincial and we were doing really well. Um, so I can remember some of the, the players that we had, just remarkable players. You've got Terry Doyle, Andrew Brown, Gus Martin. Um, you had Frankie DeGorio still. Um, he's, he's played so many games now, but he was uh, still not only prime, but doing pretty well back then as well. Uh, obviously, Damian Holmes um, and his brother Clint as well. So many great players that were playing for us back when I was a kid. I can't remember too many actual moments um, 
from from back then. So as far as memorable moments go, yeah, we probably have to fast forward back to the second premiership with uh, with BC. That was once again a pretty remarkable season. We we went undefeated and and also the first eleven won the premiership as well. So it was a, it was a great year for the club, and that's what propelled us to you know that was the first starting point to get into provincial that that season, winning that subbies premiership. So winning that one was great. And then uh, well, a couple of years ago now, um, won a third 11 premiership. So so that was good too. It was in different circumstances. We didn't have a grand final. And so they're memorable personal moments. But as far as the club goes, and probably it would have to be Darty's innings against Delacombe Park uh, in the grand final at Graydon's Road. I, I certainly haven't seen a better innings uh, I've seen quite a few innings for Red Hill. I haven't seen a better one than that. And to win against Delacombe Park, um, against against the odds, and, and also um, he copped a bit of flack, Darty, and the whole team copped a bit of flack, actually. So to win against the conditions, we did very well. Um, so that, that was probably my highlight for the club um, over 30 years, I think, that, that premiership and that innings in particular. On a similar theme, um, the, the Peninsula Premiership that we won a couple of years ago against Somerville, that was that was uh, a moment to, to get into Provincial and also to win against Somerville, who we'd had a few battles with. So we've beaten pretty much our two um, nemesis teams. We've beaten Somerville and Delacombe to, to win premierships. So they're the memorable moments. Yeah, we've definitely had a, a couple of run-ins with Somerville that we um we might touch on a little bit more in a minute. Yeah, I, th- I thought you might mention that second eleven premiership a few years back, so I sort of had a bit of a look at that, and yeah, that was um that team was actually probably probably played a bigger part in the in the history of the well the sort of recent history of the club than than probably gets spoken about. Pretty much everyone apart from Darty that played in the uh, first 11 premiership that season at some stage played in the seconds that season. So that seconds team, I think it was Darty and Mardo were the only two that didn't play seconds in that season. I played, Torch played, Jamie played, Brownie, Bubs, all played um, in the seconds at different points during that season and then ended up as the the first 11 premiership side. So that that second side to go through undefeated, having changes every week, um, but also being that sort of breeding ground um, for the first was, it was such a valuable um, resource, I guess you'd say, through that season to have such a strong second side to feed the firsts. And and the first didn't have it all their own way that year. We had a couple of struggles. So, you know, we really had to call on that second side a few times. So that was, um, it was a, it was really important, you know, how well that, that side went. Obviously that, yeah, the innings with Darty, I think that's, that's probably my, um, favorite favorite memory of my time at Red Hill from an on-field point of view. Yeah, you couldn't ask for a, couldn't ask for a more uh, fighting, but also you know classy innings to make 140 or whatever it was out of 300 when we we're uh, we we're probably on the ropes three or four times through that game. Um, three for 50 overnight and and to chase down 300 was. Yeah, I don't think you'll see a better innings than that as, as long as uh, any of us are around. 
that's some some obviously some really good memories there. Uh, a bit of a bit of a lighthearted one. What do you think is the funniest moment from your your time at Red Hill? I've got a, a couple of funny. They're not like hilarious moments. They're more like strange moments. And one of them, well, yeah, it's got to involve Popper, of course. Um, and one of them, I remember. I think he's done it a few times actually, but I, there's only one that I remember. I was standing in, in slips with him. It was pretty early on in a match. I was, it was in the seconds on the chip. And um, Poffer, as a keeper, you know, he bends down and squats a lot. And obviously he, um, he squatted and uh, something else followed through. And his uh, whites were not white. They, they were brown. And pretty early on in the match as well. So he had to um, go off the field and clean up and everything like that. And like I said, I'd, I believe he's done it more than, on more than one occasion as well. So that's, you don't expect to see that every day. Um, that's a bit of a strange one. And the other, the other moment, um, strange moment, was against Main Ridge. I, you might have even played in this match, Moppy. It was at Main Ridge, and uh, it was back when Terry was captain. And there's a particular Main Ridge player that never thinks he's out. On this occasion, he, he got an edge to the keeper. I think it was Poffer. And he said that he didn't hit it. The umpire gave it out because everyone else heard it. But he said he wasn't out. And she kept on saying that he's got a clicky bat handle and it must have been this clicky bat handle that everyone heard. And anyway, Terry Doyle's pretty much, he's one of the most competitive cricketers I've ever seen. And he must have been, he must have had a, a very generous day that day. And he said to this particular Main Ridge player, yeah, I believe you. Um, you must have had a clicky bat handle. It was like a, it was a really strange noise. It, it didn't sound very woody, but there was definitely a noise there. So I'll, I'll withdraw my appeal. And anyway, this, this main ridge player ended up getting at least 50, and they nearly won the match because this guy got quite a few runs when he could have been out for, for not many runs if uh, Terry had just gone with the umpire's decision. I do remember that. I was playing that game. I, I, I remember that clearly. It was very, very strange. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a bowler call the batsman back, especially yeah, Terry, as you say. And Terry had a pretty reasonable rivalry with this particular batsman. So if I was going to pick somebody that he would call back, it, 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 he would probably be last on the list. It was, it was, yeah, it was bizarre, wasn't it? He just sort of turned around and said, no, actually he didn't hit it and just went back to his mark and we carried on and then, yeah, a bit later we were going, Terry, why the hell would you do that? We're going to lose this game because he's now smashing us, <laughs> smashing us around and still batting and we could have had him out. Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. That was, it was bizarre. Yeah. And the, uh, and the Poffer one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably, probably best. We don't go over that again. Probably no one wants to, no one wants to recall memories of that day or, or the multiple days that's happened. You've also been on the executive committee for, quite a while i couldn't find the exact date of when you got on the committee the general committee but i'm guessing it was around 2009 or 10 um, and then secretary not long after that so probably 10 plus years uh what are some of your your sort of thoughts of the the journey on the on the committee from where you from where it was where you you found it to where you left it when when we found it and this is what happens at a lot of uh, local community organisations, um, clubs go through phases and probably out of all of the, the clubs um, in the NPCA, you've probably only got a handful that are really sustainable. 
And I think we're at the stage now where we're very sustainable, but there's certain periods of time where with you know, volunteers, they get exhausted uh, and there's not new ones ready to take over. And yeah, things, things just go downhill a little bit. And, and we were probably at that stage um, when Kenny came in and um, Kenny got me in as well and a few other people. Um, and we just, we started slowly and built up. So it was like, we've always been okay financially. We, we haven't been desperate financially, but we, we needed a bit more money. We focused on, you know, fundraising and that um, and also getting players. And in the end, uh, if you're successful on the field, then you probably, unless you're spending lots of money on players, which we never have, you're probably going to be pretty successful off the field as well. And so we started slowly and, you know, we built up and now we're in provincial. We've, we've gone the full, we've gone pretty much um, 180 degrees there. We've done everything that we needed to do to get into provincial. Now we need to, to obviously do our own provincial, but if if I look at it when I first started on the committee, um, pretty humble beginnings. And there were a lot of new people on the committee as well. Where I think the good thing is a lot of those people have stayed on the committee for substantial periods of time. We had good consistency there and they, they were good people and some of them are still on the committee as well. And they're the ones who are seeing us through and that's why we've been so successful. Yeah, definitely. You're definitely right about the the cycles, especially in the you know a smaller market like like Red Hill. You know, we don't have the catchment of a, a Lang Warren or a Mornington or a or a Mount Martha or anything like that. So it is going to be a bit of a cyclical sort of thing. And yeah, when you when you're at the top of your cycle, you got to you got to make the most of it. And you're definitely right about the the on field or the off field mirroring the the on field because everyone loves a winner it's it's sort of as it's sort of as simple as that if the if the team's winning you you you'll go well now during that time we've we've had a few few stouches with the mpca which you've been a, a bit of a part of now i don't want to be uh really bad mouthing the mpca or anything on here if they ever happen to listen one day but maybe just a a, a sort of general thought on on some of our stouches and and the way they've gone or the the, the way the results have panned out it's uh, as someone who has been in the um, legal profession for quite a while um, and worked at a court, I, I have seen what natural justice is about and what fair process and everything like that. And I suppose if you go through a fair process and you come out the loser, then you can say, okay, at least we had a good argument. We, we gave it our best shot, but we, we came out the loser in the end. But we feel that everything was, throughout the process, everything was okay. Unfortunately, things weren't like that um, with the MPCA. So it leaves a bit of a bitter taste when you know that you've got a really good argument, a winning argument, according to all of their own rules but the process is not necessarily fair. And as, as more money comes into the MPCA, it will become like football. There, it, there will be legal representation. And when there's legal representation, um, things will change at the MPCA. But at the moment, we're still a bit, bit behind where, what other sporting organisations are like. 
like I said before, you, there's only a handful of sustainable clubs in the MPCA. And so you've got committee members who are, who are doing a hell of a lot of work to get the club, just to keep the club afloat, really. They can't concentrate on bigger picture things like with the MPCA. And that, that means that there's not a, as much pressure on the MPCA to, uh, to reform its, itself. And they've pretty much been, they've been accountable to the member clubs because they get voted in, the, the particular people get voted in every year, but um, their, their procedures are not particularly accountable. And that, I, I think a lot of that is because um, the, the clubs simply don't have the time or the energy to be able to keep them accountable in that respect. But it'll happen, it will happen. And there's been, so many, I can't count the amount of time that we've had a bit of a stoush with the MPCA and they have changed pretty much their interpretation of their own rules to, to suit themselves. And that's pretty disappointing, uh, especially when uh, as a club, as, as officials of a club, we're, we're trying to, to make decisions for the best interests of the club within the rules. And there's no consistency. Um, how are you meant to make a decision within the rules when there's no consistency in the adjudication of the rules? That's that's my issue. Um, and in the end, I'm I was just a club official. I had no power with the MPCA. They had the power. They made their decisions, right or wrong. Uh, and all I can do is do what I think Red Hill Cricket Club has always tried to do, and that's accept the umpire's decision and move on and uh, not, yeah, try not to get too bitter about it, even though it does leave a bitter taste in, in the mouth. Yeah, very, very diplomatically put. You know, uh, I think if we um, we could go on all day on that topic, but uh, yeah, that, that's probably probably a good way of summing it up. All right, last one to finish off. Uh, what, do, what do you think it is that sets Red Hill apart from other clubs? Like I was saying earlier on as well, it's it's the atmosphere of the place. Um, even though there's apart from yourself and the Degorios, and there's a there's a few families there that have been there forever, and they've they've still got some land, their farms. There's not too many farming families left, but we've still got that that's still in the culture of the club. Um, it's something that I hope will, I hope will never leave the club, um, and. What, what makes it so good is that we've got people that have been there for so long and they're good people. So what you might find in a lot of other clubs is they might, you might get a lot of players and, and people that, that come and go for a couple of years and they'll just go from club to club to club. This is what, um, and it started, I believe, with Kenny. Um, it was really important to, to get people, good people at the club, you know, the no dickhead policy, which you were talking about with Sammy last week. But you, you don't just get the no dickheads there for one or two years, you get them there to stay. And then if they stay, then their kids play for the club. And then it keeps on going through the generations as well. So that, that's the way that, that we can attract people is, is with this intergenerational type thing. And you see it now with so many guys in the first 11 who have got kids, their kids are, are playing cricket in the juniors, in Milo cricket. Um, that's the best thing about the club. And, and it's family friendly. We've got um, 
it's not just blokes anymore. It used to, when I first started, it was, it was very blokey, the club. And like, I know my mum was uncomfortable about going to the club sometimes, but now I, I really don't think that anyone would have any qualms about going to the club because it's a very safe place. And that's through the work, not just since Kenny. I think it's, it started at least with Frankie DeGoria when Frankie was president um, to get that family atmosphere into the club. You know, it sort of started with Frank. Um, you know, Frank was a bit more, a bit more professional, a bit more sort of family orientated. Obviously, you know, DeGoria is a big family. It sort of flows through the club anyway. And it sort of, so it sort of started there and then, yeah, really sort of kicked kicked off with Ken, um, Ken and yourself when you were sort of in charge of the place. So there's a chat with Fluff. We covered a range of topics there over a long period of time. So I hope that was enjoyable and uh, stay tuned for the next episode with whoever that may be.